This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 47. Welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineering leaders thrive. Today, I speak with strategy and leadership specialist Pamela Kellert about what it takes to better manage international teams. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Very, very happy to have you along again for another episode of the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. Excited also to be sharing an interview with my friend Pamela Kellert. It had been quite a while since she and I had had a chance to to get together and chat. She and I used to work together. So really fun to get caught up and hear about uh, the kind of work that she's into now. And especially, especially during these times of COVID, this discussion around managing international teams and teams that are not only not co-located, but are, are spread throughout the globe. Very interesting stuff, very practical advice that she gives. But before we get to that, a few housekeeping items, sundry items, things I wanted to share with you. Uh, first of all, thank you so much to everyone who came out to the latest webinar that Jeff Perry and I had done on the challenges and opportunities of the Great Resignation. We had a really good turnout, really interesting conversation, really engaged session. If you didn't have a chance to join us for that, fear not, for we recorded the webinar. So uh, I'll be leaving a link to that in the show notes. You'll be able to check that out at your leisure. Another thing I wanted to mention is that I recently had the opportunity to join Isaac Oakson on his podcast called the Civil Engineering Academy podcast. We had a lot of fun with that chat. And the episode is really interesting in that it, it's not specific to civil engineers only, but certainly if you are a civil engineer, I would absolutely encourage you check out that podcast. Again, that's the Civil Engineering Academy podcast with Isaac Oakson. Uh, I'll be adding a link to that in the show notes as well. Another thing that I wanted to share, big news coming soon, very soon. I'm not quite there yet. I'm so close, but I'm going to be launching my long-anticipated Productivity for Engineering Managers online course. That should be coming out very, very soon. So if you are an engineering manager or a leader and you don't find there are enough hours in a day, and I can guarantee that at least some of you are nodding your heads right now listening to this, this course is for you. Uh, all the details, everything you need to know, including early access and an early bird discount, you can get that through my newsletter, Engineering Leadership Weekly. And that's a free newsletter. If you don't already subscribe to it, please do. That's the best way to find out about what all is going on in the Engineering and Leadership Project uh, universe. So do check that out, engineeringandleadership.com slash ELweekly. And finally, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you very, very much because you have helped me in a very big way. We recently crossed the 100,000 download mark for the podcast, which certainly in, in the grand scheme of things in the world of podcasting, there are lots of podcasts that have tens and hundreds of millions of downloads, but to be a small independent podcast to hit 100,000 downloads, I'm super excited about that, and I have you to thank for that, for being part of this process, part of this community, and I'm really looking forward to hitting the next 100,000, and, and who knows, maybe, maybe one day we'll get a million downloads, which would be an awful lot of fun. All right, let's jump to the main content for today.
With the world becoming increasingly interconnected and co-location becoming less and less critical to business operations, engineering organizations everywhere are transcending national boundaries. While organizations absolutely benefit from finding talent globally and integrating a diversity of thought and background into their ranks, managing international teams is incredibly difficult. Not only do engineering managers need to sort out the intricacies of remote work, cultural and linguistic differences also need to be considered carefully as well. Managers who succeed in balancing all this can have engaged, thriving, high-performance teams. Managers who don't, however, can quickly find themselves in a world of hurt. Today's guest, Pamela Kellert, has made a career out of managing large, global, technical teams in a number of different industries. In today's interview, she shares her insights into how to better manage international teams. Pamela is a seasoned strategic leadership expert with over 15 years of experience working in strategy, business development, and project delivery to head diverse teams at leading organizations across Australia, Asia, Europe, and North America. Today, Pamela focuses on helping female professionals in STEM sectors grow into senior leadership roles by teaching them strategic, non-technical skills critical for success. Here's my interview with Pamela. Pamela Kellert, welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Pat. It's my pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited about this, excited to to reconnect with you after a number of years. And and you're calling in from Germany today, uh, and I'm here in Halifax, in the east coast of Canada. And that, I, I, think, I think, is great because it sets the scene for the subject for today, which is managing international teams. Before I start uh, asking questions about this, I, I'd love I'd love it if you could take a minute and kind of share your story and kind of your background and how it is you built up this expertise in in managing international teams and, and, and global organizations. Sounds good. Thanks, Pat. Um, look, I think it started really already with my background. I was originally born in Bolivia, then moved to Germany. And so um, growing up with two cultures and two languages already naturally was uh, a normal thing for me. And then later on, I started international management. And it's really through the those studies that I um, started working in international teams already at university. And, and that took over to into my professional time as well. But it really started already when I was a child. And as a child already having to live, you know, with a uh, home that has uh, Bolivian values, South American um, lifestyle in Germany, uh, which both have very different cultures, as you can imagine. So that was uh, where it started. Yeah, and then that that progressed into your professional life as well, if I understand things correctly. You've, you've really um, you've, you've covered the four corners of the globe. You, you've you've been everywhere. You've done some really interesting things. What what are some some of the highlights for you in terms of uh, your your career and how it's given you the chance to see the world? Frankly, that's right. Look, I think um, for one, I was just always interested in working in international teams and uh, working in different countries. I was always fascinated by understanding how different cultures work. So it was really me actively looking for international um, opportunities, which was my studies and then later on in the profession. So um, when I had the opportunity to move, for example, to Asia, specifically to Malaysia, um, I directly jumped on it because it was a great opportunity to get to know Malaysia and with that also Asia. And later on, I moved also to Australia. What fascinates me is 
understanding how people work, how people think, what they value. Because you see, as leaders, we really need to, to get into how do we motivate people? How do uh, people actually work with each other and try and find ways how we can motivate in, in getting them to work together? So having an exposure to those different areas um, and regions of the world was fascinating for me because I got to understand how different people think what they value, how they communicate even. So those were various different aspects. And I think now that I've worked, yeah, not only in, in Asia, Australia, but also in, in Canada, I can really see that there are a couple of really important topics that we need to look after when we're leaders and when we're managing international teams. Absolutely. Well, let's get into that. What what would you call kind of the big the, the the big ideas or the big themes that are important to to bear in mind when when managing an international team? Yeah, I find that there are three big areas that we really need to look after, and um, I'll just break them down. One is goals and strategy, and having clarity over what are the goals and the strategy for that particular team. The second is building trust. And the third one is what I'll call cultural engagement. And I'll, I'll walk through those themes. Great. First one is the one about goals and strategy. The, a team needs a purpose, right? A team only comes together to, because they have one joint purpose. So clarifying what that common goal is, is really essential in order to have the team cohesion. Because if people are not clear what the common goal is, then they might just walk off and run off in different uh, different directions. So that is really important, clarifying the project goals and the risk. And the next step is to breaking it down into what the individual teams that are distributed around the globe, what their contribution is, what is their task, what is their scope, and what is it that they need to deliver in order for the overall goal to work, Right. And it's only that breakdown into tasks for the single teams and then each individual that can help us as leaders also to create accountability, right? Because in order to achieve the overall goal, we actually need to break it down in several tasks and yeah, ultimately um, work packages, right? So that I think is one of the most important things. Also, clarifying what the common goal is, whenever there is a conflict uh, later on, and we might talk about a conflict later on. Whenever there's a conflict, we can always resolve it by reminding ourselves what is actually the goal that we're trying to achieve here. Because even though international teams might be distributed across the globe and across different time zones, the one thing that the team needs to realize is we're in the same boat, right? We're all rowing towards the right, the same goal, and we both or all three or four want to achieve exactly the same thing. So clarifying that goal and the strategy, how we want to get there is absolutely essential. I wanted to, I wanted to pick up on, um, on a word you use that, that I think is an interesting one, an important one, that is risk. Because I could see how in, in different cultures and different work practices, uh, a, a view of and tolerance for risk could be very different depending on on the cultural environment. Is this is this something you've you've seen yourself? And, and if so, how do you manage that? How do you get people on the same uh, on the same page with respect to you know evaluating uncertainty and the and the badness of particular risks? That's a great um, topic you're raising because yes, risk is really 
something that, depending on the culture, can be assessed and valued in a very different way. So it's important to, to standardize the same view across all teams that are involved. And you can do it by, for example, um, let's say you're working on a project which has um, liquidated damages for late delivery. And uh, some cultures might just have a different interpretation of, of times and delivery timelines, right? But if we explain to all the team members what the actual financial consequences are of late delivery, then we create a common understanding for everyone. And I think it's, it's that creating the common understanding, clarity and visibility of things that helps us to bring everyone on the same page. Right. And you've already used that word a couple times is clarity, right? It sounds like being as concrete uh, as possible is is super, super important here. What was the uh, what, what was the second theme you, you wanted to touch on here? Yeah, the second one is a very important one, which um, we can really use in any team, not only international teams, but particularly important in international team, and that's trust, hmm. right? If, and maybe we just need to step a, a go a step back. When we have teams distributed across time zones and across different regions, we just don't know who's sitting on the other end of the phone or the Zoom line, right? So if, if I have certain priorities that I need to do for my team here and the team over there is asking me for other priorities, then we also need to understand how to trust each other and how to trust that the others are going to contribute to my deliverables and vice versa, right? So trust is really important. And, and there's a quote that I like about trust. And that says, trust is always earned. It's never given. And I think in internationally distributed teams, that's something we really need to very actively work on to get to trust, to create trust in the team. Another question is obviously, how do we create trust? It is by creating a mutual understanding of each other, understanding what are the personalities involved, um, understanding how do people work, understanding what is also the background of other people. Uh, you know, I might be assume I might assume that I'm the expert on something, um, but maybe if I take a little bit of time to understand my counterpart sitting somewhere else, I might discover that they have quite a lot of technical expertise as well. So creating that mutual interest and understanding in each other is very important. And I think a couple of things that managers can do in order to do that is right at the beginning, in particular, when we work in a, in a project environment, the team building activities at the beginning are really important. So things that managers can do is um, things like creating some meetings or time. If you can't collocate people, then at least through Zoom, to get to know each other, what are their hobbies? What is also their professional background? What have they done before, right? Because it's not like we meet people and we get to see their whole CV and know all the things they've done before, right? But also where do they live and what circumstances do they have as well in their life and what is their personality? Because once we understand how another person works, right, then I also have a better understanding of to work with them. For example, if I'm someone... You give me a task and my personality is in a way that I say, okay, thank you for the task. I'll come back in a week with a result. It means I don't want to be followed up on every day, right? And if my manager follows up on me every day, I might think that the person distrusts me. So in order to create trust, above all, we need to create mutual understanding amongst all of the team members. Yeah, it's it's critically important. And it's something that even... 
even for distributed teams within a common country or culture, trust can still be an issue. And I've worked in a number of places where I've heard, oh, the guys over in Office X they do their own yep. thing or we, we, you know, we, we've got to double check their work or so, so I can see, I can see how it becomes even more important, uh, mm. important rather, um, when the distances grow larger and larger. Um, you mentioned the importance of making time to, to get together, to get to know one another personally. Um, you talked about, you know, setting up a, a meeting. What, what other ideas, might you share with people in terms of creating these opportunities for, for people to connect personally? Because I, I think trust is often been built on, on really knowing and, and eventually through knowing someone getting to like them, right? You, you can find that <laughs> common ground. Um, yeah. So, so what kinds of things can you do um, even, even uh, during a pandemic like we're, we're living in now where co-location is, uh, virtual impossibility. <laughs> what, what what can you do to, to, to try to get to know your colleagues? Yeah, yeah. It's really about creating a connection, right? And creating a connection we can do by, by sharing. So it can be by organizing. I used to, for example, like to have um, Friday night virtual calls, right? And during the pandemic, just grab a glass of alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage, doesn't matter. And then we would just meet um, on Zoom and not talk about work, just talk about our lives. You know, someone um, got a pet during the pandemic or someone um, moved houses. I moved houses, actually. You know, just get to know the person and what they like or don't like. Um, so meeting, but if there's no time for meeting or, or, you know, people by Friday night, they also just want to switch off from work. Another thing that I did that worked quite well was a coffee email. You know, like if you're in the office, you would sometimes just um, go grab a coffee and then whoever's in the kitchen, you might just have a five minute chat. So whenever you feel like that, and let's say you just want to share a joke, send an email to the colleagues that you want to involve in that joke, but really make it clear in the email title. It's a coffee chat, right? So if someone is super busy, they're not going to open the email straight away, but they might open it later on when they do feel like they also want to have a coffee and therefore engage in that time. So that's a technique where we can share that we can share across locations, but also asynchronous. You know, it's not happening right at the same moment. People can actually share time off at the time when they want to take a break. Yeah, it's perfect. It makes so much sense. I, um, my own team, when I was working at uh, at Lockheed Martin, we we occasionally would play games. I, I think Wordle was one of them, and I'm terrible. I'm terrible at most of these games. Um, but you know, a, a free online thing with a, a, a Zoom a Zoom call going, where you can trash talk each other and and just have fun is you know, it's 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 a quick and simple way to to bring people together and and have that connection so i i really i really like the idea of the uh the the coffee chat that that makes a lot of sense to me <laughs> absolutely so it's that connection and that fun part right but there are a few more things one can do about the trust namely trust is also um agreeing on what are the shared values that we as a team are going to use right for example how what's the um culture that we want to establish in terms of challenging each other and questioning us, right? And the team should ideally um, determine that at the very beginning so that the same understanding is created. And again, across different cultures and different locations that when we ask each other and challenge each other, it's in a constructive way, right? So nobody should be um, taking it personally. 
but also when we establish those common rules, also to define what's no longer okay, right? For example, to determine rules when we have a brainstorming session um, to allow everyone to speak up or to allow everyone to uh, finish the sentence, to listen first before we jump in. So creating those common rules helps us to create a safe environment and for everyone to uh, feel like I'm welcomed here, I can bring in my ideas and there are rules for everyone, right? And that helps us to avoid certain personalities overtaking the room. And that's particularly important when we're dealing with different cultures where maybe our culture is a little bit more reserved in the eyes of the other or maybe where another culture is more outgoing, let's say. Sure. This was, uh, and I'll, I'll spill the beans a little bit. You, you and I go back a little ways. We worked together in Malaysia, and which is a phenomenal experience. One of the things that really jumped out to me was the, the difference in deference to power between mm. Canada and Malaysia. And, and not that one is right and, and one is wrong, but, but there is a difference in, in Canada uh, it's much more common for someone to challenge their leader or to not to try to uh, overtake them or over, overrule so much as, you know, uh, put their ideas on the table if it's, uh, if it's different. I found that much less common uh, when working in Malaysia, and that created some interesting dynamics in a common room uh, where we were discussing uh, uh, certain designs. I'd be curious to know, how do you, how do you navigate those cultural differences to set to set those rules, like you said, in a way that doesn't push anyone too, too far outside of their comfort zone, because, uh, you, you know, you, you want everyone to be playing from the same rule book, but you don't want to just say, okay, we're going to adopt that country's rule book. <laughs> everyone else get on board that I, I, I can't imagine that'll work. So how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why it's really critical to establish those common rules right? So that, for example, if we're talking about a culture where typically things are very hierarchical, it's the boss who mainly speaks, so that jointly we establish that in this team culture, we do want everyone to speak up. And so that even, you know, that culture that initially might not have felt comfortable with it, so that they realized in, in this environment, it's okay. And it gives them permission to contribute as well. Um, there are also other ways how we can go about it. For example, if we are having a brainstorming session, rather than brainstorming out loud, as in asking a question and everybody to jump in and bringing the ideas, we can do a silent brainstorming, mm. which means you ask the question, people write down their ideas and either bring them to the presenter or, um, or present it themselves. But that's also another idea of how to bring in their ideas navigating around that culture. Yeah, I, I love that idea, even even within co-located teams, right? Because yes. e even individuals' personal comfort level with speaking up if the loud person <laughs> has already declared their position is uh, can, can create problems and can can silence people who might otherwise have great ideas to table. So I, I, I really do appreciate that. There was just one more important uh, topic on, on trust. So one was the cre creating connection between people. The second was establishing a common uh, ground of rules. But the third one is also, if I want to trust people, I also need to respect them and feel respected, right? And, and the one topic that we need to overcome with international teams is, for example, sharing the burden of who goes on to late night calls, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> 
yeah. who goes on to early night calls, right? And and you have, uh, you and I, we have experienced that. I think yeah. uh, when we worked together, there was literally zero time of official office hours overlapping. So there was always one team um, going either into light night calls or early night calls. So it's about sharing that burden, right? Because there is an additional burden when we have not when we have not co-located teams and in particular across different time zones. And it's about trying to find ways that that additional burden, it is just additional administrative task, but it can be a burden on the private lives of people, right? Rather than hanging out with their families at night, they're hanging out on calls. So we need to distribute, be aware of distributing um, that load as well. I was in a former organization where they liked having Friday calls in the morning, but then in in Asia Pacific, that would mean their Friday night calls. Right, and as you can right. imagine, many people have other topics to do, other things to do on a Friday night call. So by by becoming aware of what burden cr- is being created through this international setup, also being aware of how do we distribute that burden accordingly. And it could be, all right, alternate. One month, one team goes into late night calls and, you know, the next month might be the other one. But you just need to be aware of where those areas are. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 this is to me a theme that's emerging a little bit is um, to be clear about expectations and to mm. be intentional about thinking through a lot of things that you might not otherwise have to think about, right? Like sharing sharing the burden of conference calls. Conference calls are an everyday fact of organizational life, but you don't often think that, well, in this situation, we have to actually think about <laughs> who's who's on the call and, and when and not. So I totally appreciate that. Correct, correct. And yeah, and, and that's really difficult. And with that, so it's one is sharing the burden, but also um, celebrating, for example, the joint successes and status. Um, so I think another best practice is to create, in particular when we're in project teams across and with distributed teams, to create with the help of online tools, visibility of the overall project status, right? Because if all sites have great visibility of where we're at, they can all have a sense that they um, play a role and that they have a say. So again, transparency and visibility by using those tools can be very helpful to establish trust. I, I want to get into the the third theme that, that you mentioned off the top, but before we move yeah. on to that, I, I did want to ask you about about mm-hmm. tools, um, yeah. being being an engineer, I'm a, I'm a big nerd. You, you and I were discussing <laughs> my <laughs> my obsession with gear before we started recording. Um, do, do you have any particular tools or anything that that you really like in terms of of providing that visibility to to a dispersed team? Yeah, I guess it, it depends what systems companies use to share information. Sure, sure, sure. Um, some have, uh, you know, a shared service where they can uh, internationally have access to folders. So even just a folder structure that can be accessed remotely is already okay. Or, uh, for example, also a, um, a SharePoint site. Mm, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so some document structure that helps to put things together. Yeah, and and for all all those out there rolling their eyes at SharePoint, it can be it can be very very well done. I've seen it, and it's great. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I have seen it as well, working really well. So yes, it does work. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what what's the third theme you wanted to to cover here? Yeah, so the third theme goes then really more into the, the cultural aspect, namely I would summarize it as cultural engagement 
And within that area, two things are particularly important. One is the language and the other one understanding the culture. So let's talk about language for a bit. If we imagine, I mean, English is uh, really is an established international language, but English is not everyone's first language, right? A lot of people, including myself, we have learned English. And when we work with international teams, we just may um, be working with people who have a very different proficiency level in English. So when we're a manager or also team members, um, working with international teams, we need to be very conscious about that. And for us, it means we need to slow down. That's one. We need to slow down, speak slowly, um, and according to the level of the other person, right? So make an effort to try and understand how well is the other person speak English. If the other person just says, yes, yes, I understood, doesn't necessarily mean they actually did, right? They might not um, want to admit that they did not understand. So talking slowly through things, avoiding um, any idioms, right? Mm. Um, things that may only be uh, accessible for people from the same culture or the same language. And basically keep it simple and short. Just make it easier to digest. Don't, don't allow the language to be the barrier to comprehension, right? Because on top of language, there's obviously all the content and scope and technicalities that need to be understood. So the language should not be the barrier. And we just need to be conscious about that and, and slow down. The other item in language that we can do is if we feel that there is a bit of a, a gap in terms of um, language proficiency, and in particular for really important things, it's best to then still summarize a meeting or a call or a decision in an email. Oh, love it. Because yep. <laughs> if the other person receives it in written, it gives the time to digest it at their own time. Right to look at maybe certain words or certain abbreviations they're not familiar with, and and that that just gives them guidance. Of course, it may be just a little bit of additional work to write down that email, but in the long run, it saves a lot of misunderstanding and it provides clarity. I uh, I've had the experience recently of working with with colleagues in Scotland, um, mm -hmm. and and it, it, you made reference to idioms and and. It's, it's amazing that I, I live in a province that translated from Latin is literally New Scotland. It's Nova Scotia. Okay. Uh, so, so as far as, you know, be, being in a different nation, we're, we're only so far removed from that, that ancestry. But it's incredible how different the same language can be from place to place. Um, and, how, uh, and how jarring it can be to try to make sense of, like you say, idioms or acronyms are, are particularly bad, even within a common industry. It's, it's very, very easy to lose yourself in that if, if you're not careful, for sure. Yes, absolutely. And I can always remember one internship when I was younger, I did in the UK. And I think the team over there thought, I'm just shy, I'm not participating in the discussions. But I just literally could not understand them. Sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> I just could not understand it and follow the conversations. And with that also, we need to be sometimes a bit careful about jokes, right? Mm, because yep. things that we might find is an acceptable joke in one culture is, is not acceptable somewhere else or, or can just lead to misinterpretation. So again, just stripping away from a communication, anything that could be misinterpreted or which is just very simply too, too difficult to understand, just keep it simple. 
simple and short and make it clear what you really want to do. And if you really feel that maybe a person didn't get the message or you you just want to cross-check ideally if the message has really been understood. So again, we just need to allow more time yeah, when we work with international teams. So not only time for building a connection, but also along the working steps, ensuring that the communication is fine, that everything has been understood. There's a there's a line in um, the of a member of, of a group called the International Council of Systems Engineering. And in their handbook, they've got a line that, that I really, really love, and that is th- thinking is always in scope. So no matter what the project, <laughs> thinking is always in scope. And and I think the same could be said for communications. It it, yeah. it takes time and it takes energy and you have you always, always, always need to take that time and energy. And the the stakes get higher and the risks get get greater. In, in these huge programs with international teams. I, I think it's absolutely critical what you're saying here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just takes time. And we need to appreciate that. I think with communication, indeed, we underestimate the value of it um, because, you know, we just think our oh, communication is just words coming out of my mouth, right? But not. It's so much more it's, uh, understanding what am I saying? How am I saying it? Am I clear? And also putting ourselves into the perspective of the other person, right? What is their background? How much do they understand of what I'm saying? And how can I communicate in an easier way so that both of us benefit from each other? And that will ultimately save time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I imagine uh, there are a number of people listening who who may be new to uh, distributed work or new Mm -hmm. to working within or leading international teams. If you could give one piece of advice... Um, mm-hmm. in terms of, of smoothing that transition and, and really kind of paving the way to success in that environment, what, what, what would you suggest people do? Yeah, I think one thing is put yourselves in the shoes of the other person. Yeah. So, for example, let's say I'm meeting a team that has um, engineers from uh, Korea, right? If I put myself in their shoes and if I was joining a team where everybody spoke Korean, how would I feel? Right. I I would appreciate if they spoke, uh, you know, slowly and clearly me trying to learn Korean. So just put yourself in their shoes. Also, if they're working in a different time zones, put yourselves in them shoes. Try to um, understand what are their time zones. Uh, If I'm scheduling a call at 9 p.m., where would I be at 9 p.m.? Right. Am I having dinner with my children or am I putting them to bed? How would I feel? So we need a lot of empathy. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that, that. That's the word that that popped into my mind is, and, and that takes, and that takes effort as well. But but it's effort that is is very very important to to put in. I, I think you've made a very strong case for that today. Um, as we mm-hmm. as we kind of near the the end of our chat here, mm-hmm. I, I did want to pivot a little bit because mm-hmm. um, you've recently made a, a big career transition uh, and you've started a a new business at uh, ingenuity coaching uh, i'd love i'd love if you could share a little bit with us what what the business is all about and how your how your experience as as a, a world traveling international team manager uh is is uh, is supporting this new venture thanks pat yes that's right um indeed just a couple of months ago i decided to become an executive coach and um, to bring my, my experiences and capabilities and to share in particular with uh, people who work in, um, in the sector of STEM. Because one thing that I've realized is as in management, as we grow through the ranks, 
um, we need to learn different capabilities. It's no longer about our technical skills, but it's actually about a couple of other skills, in particular when we reach senior management. So since I've worked also for a very long time in uh, strategy, I was used to be a strategy consultant, bringing in particularly my strategic skills to help people reach a senior management role where it's really critical to develop strategic thinking. So yeah, looking to spend more time as a coach now on helping people and in particular women, since I'm very passionate about having also more women joining here in the STEM sector. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's fantastic news. I'm very, very excited for you. This is going to be, you're going to knock it out of the park. That's uh, I'm very, very confident. Um, if someone would like to learn uh, more about you or, or, or maybe learn about your work, your business, where's the best place for them to go? I think the best is um, on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so feel free to reach out. It's Pamela Kellert. Send me a message, connect with me if you have any questions um, around what we've discussed today or anything else. That would be the best way to, to connect with me. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Pamela, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Fantastic. Pat, thank you so much. You've been a great host. <laughs> thank you. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Thank you once again, Pamela. That was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I, I hope you could hear that in the back and forth banter. Uh, Pamela and I get on famously, and it was great to chat with her about this. There was so much that when I listened back to this episode popped out and, and really got me thinking. One was the importance of clarifying goals and purpose. And as a leader, whether you've got an international team or not, the importance of clarifying goals and clarifying purpose and rallying around that purpose could not possibly be overstated. This is critical, no matter what the composition of your team, but especially critical, especially so when the team is large and international and when differences in, in backgrounds and work cultures come to play. This is absolutely critical to the success of a team. So I'm really glad Pamela brought that up. Another thing that popped out was that this is two interviews in a row now where clarity is a major theme. Back in episode 46 with Dolores Hirschman, in fact, that was one of the core messages of the whole interview was the importance of communicating with clarity. Well, here again with my interview with Pamela, clarity became one of these really important themes that came out. Making clear decisions and providing clear direction is critical. And as engineers, I find we often don't want to be seen as committing too much to something when there's such uncertainty in our world of work. And despite that uncertainty, despite the risk of choosing a very specific direction or making a very specific decision, it's important to do it anyway. And if that decision needs to change, if you need to adjust course, that's fine. You just need to be clear about when you adjust course and explain the background. And again, if you could walk away with any one thing from this interview, I would really encourage you to think critically about how important it is to be clear. Finally, and I, I couldn't help but chuckle at myself a little bit listening back to the interview, Pamela mentioned the importance of idioms and being judicious with their use because 
if you are speaking to people who don't share the same culture, the same background as you, it is very easy for the meaning of an idiom to get lost. It just doesn't make sense. And not two minutes after having that discussion on idioms, I think I made mention of knocking it out of the park in reference to Pamela having uh, almost a certain success with her business. And I I couldn't help but chuckle to myself that I used an idiom right after being told I need to be careful about using idioms. So again, this is something that unless you're conscious of it, unless you're looking for it, it's so easy to slip into idioms and sayings and acronyms. Very, very important to be careful about that. So once again, thank you so much, Pamela. I really had a lot of fun with that. Again, all of the resources and the links will be in the show notes. Just go to engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 47. Next up, we've got the Engineering and Leadership Mailbag. Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read everything you send me, and I promise to read my favorites right here on the podcast. First up, we've got a letter from Ellen Pat. She says, I listened to episode 42 today, and it was so good to hear your voice. I'm thrilled for you that you were growing this passion of yours and would love to catch up sometime. Keep on being excellent. Well, thank you very much for that, Ellen. I am very much looking forward to getting caught up with you. I appreciate the feedback. And next up, we had a message from Peter Atherton, uh, who runs an organization called Actions Prove, which is a really interesting group, which really caters to the architecture, engineering, and construction industry, and particularly helping leaders in that industry. He's also got a podcast called the AEC Leadership Today podcast, which you absolutely have to check out. Uh, Very, very good stuff. Peter says, congratulations, Pat, on your big move earlier this year and for your podcast milestone I saw on LinkedIn this morning. That is very impressive. And that, of course, is in reference to to hitting that 100,000 download milestone mark. So thank you very much, Peter. Looking forward to hopefully being on Peter's show in the near future. That's going to be a lot of fun. And again, I would encourage you to check out his show as well. Thanks again to all those who reached out. If you would like to chat or leave a comment, please do find me on LinkedIn or leave a comment in the episode show notes. That's all the time we have for the show today, but I'll be back as soon as I can with another episode, which will feature Anthony Fasano of the Engineering Management Institute. Anthony is a longtime friend of the show, someone I consider a a friend tour who I've learned from an awful lot. And we'll be discussing the importance of leadership development for engineers. And Anthony's got lots of really interesting things to say on that. So please do stay tuned for that. And don't forget, I did mention off the top of the show that Productivity for Engineering Managers online course is coming out soon. Do sign up for the Engineering Leadership Weekly newsletter because that will be the best way to find out about how you can uh, sign up for the course and even get early bird pricing and early access. That's at engineeringandleadership.com slash elweekly. If you enjoyed the show, which I hope you did, please hit the subscribe button so that you can catch all future episodes. And if you have a moment, it would be great if you could leave an honest review to let me know what you thought of today's show. For more information and links to the resources mentioned today, just go to the show notes. Again, that's at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 47. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. 
You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. To learn more about the Engineering and Leadership Project, including other podcasts, articles, free resources, courses, consulting, and much, much more, just go to engineeringandleadership.com. That's engineeringandleadership.com.